The following sermon was preached at Tower View Baptist Church. We are a gospel-centered, relationship-driven church that exists to know, grow in, share, and serve Jesus Christ. We do all this for the glory of God. For more about us, please check out our website at www.towerviewkc.com. several weeks, actually the next 12 weeks from now until the end of September, which seems like such a long time from now, I know, uh, but one apostle, one disciple a week. And uh, this morning, we're going to be looking at probably the most well-known apostle, well-known disciple, that being Peter himself. Uh, many of you can relate to Peter, and we'll get to that in a minute. Uh, but the, as we go through these weeks, I just want to remind you that our purpose in studying these apostles, is not just to give a biography.com overview of their lives. Uh, you can get that anywhere. You can type in Peter, you can Wikipedia Peter, but we want to, as always, as Spurgeon said, a sermon isn't a sermon until it talks about Jesus. So we want to look at these apostles and see their lives, good and bad, and for many of you, you think of most of the bad for Peter, as you know who he was, the brash, bold-speaking man but we want to see how they interacted throughout their lives with Christ in, in, in an overview. Because as we will see again today, God has called normal people to serve him. You know, in preparation for this, I came across several letters that were written to pastors that reminded me about a guy like Peter. Can I read these to you? These were written by kids from the ages of 7 to 11, so you already know they're going to be good, right? And so these were written to the pastor when the pastor asked from a particular church for letters from, his, from the kids. Uh, the first boy said, please say in your sermon, Peter Peterson has been a good boy all week. I am Peter Peterson, sincerely, Pete, age nine. Or, are there any devils on earth? I think there may be one in my class. Sincerely, Pastor Carla, age 10, please help us out. I'm sorry, I can't leave more money in the plate, but my father didn't give me an allowance this week, Pastor. Could you have a sermon about a raise in my allowance? Love, Patty, age 10. My mother is very religious. She goes to lay bingo at church, or goes to play bingo at church every week, even if she has a cold. Yours truly, Annette, age 9. I'd like to go to heaven someday, Stephen 8 said, because I know my brother probably won't be there because I kept him out. So, uh... Let that one be. Pastor, I think a lot more people would come to your church if you moved it to Disneyland, said Laureen, age nine. Please say a prayer for our Little League team. We need a God's help or a new pitcher. Thank you, says Alexander, age 10. My father says, Pastor, I should learn the Ten Commandments, but I don't think I want to because we've had enough rules already in my house, said, jo <laughs> said Joshua, age 10. I liked your sermon on Sunday, Pastor, especially when you said, it is finished, Ralph, age 11. <laughs> I love these. These are true stories, by the way. It's not a Baptist church. I, I, I've got it in my office, but I hope to go to heaven, Laura, Ellen said, age nine, someday, but later rather than sooner. I have a lot to do here on this earth. Hmm. Good wisdom there. My father should be a pastor every day, pastor. He gives us a sermon about something, said Robert, age 13. So <laughs> uh, just the honesty of children. You know, but sometimes we just don't understand some things, do we, about what happens in the church or why we do things in the church or don't do things. And for some of us, that is a daily reality. We really do struggle with, God, why is it this way and not this way? We just can't seem to get with it. And friends, I think these letters from the pastor to the pastor from these kids is a great 
kind of illustration for the life of Peter. Because if you know anything about Peter, you know that there were times when he was like that kid, asking the awkward question, saying the weird thing, or just saying, frankly, what was on his mind, often more than not. And what a great reminder to us, as it was in Peter's life, from Isaiah chapter 43 that you'll see on the screen, that says, forget the former things, the things that don't dwell on the past. See, God says, I'm doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you receive it? I'm making a way in the desert and streams in the wasteland. Peter had to know that God was up to a new thing. And he did. He got that. He even confessed Christ as Lord. But the greatest enemy of the hunger for God is not poison, but it's apple pie. If you never disagree, or if your God never disagrees with you, then you might just be worshiping an idolized version of yourself. And Peter came to realize this. Even though God was doing a new thing in Jesus, he often struggled, like those kids, to understand exactly what God was up to. Well, God, you can't do that. Jesus, you're not going to die on the cross. I'm never going to let that happen. Jesus, I'll never deny you. You know all the promises of Peter. But what does the life of Peter teach us in relation to our growth in Christ? How does the life of Peter encourage us to walk with Christ in ways he didn't early on and did later on? And the big idea today is simply this, and I think it's very straightforward. Dear hurting and struggling Christian, you are as loved by God as the Jesus-denying Peter, the murderer, adulterer David, and the thrice-holy-perfect God-man, Jesus Christ. Peter needed to be reminded of that lesson. Peter, as bold, as brash as he was, needed to be reminded that he could sleep deep because he could know that God had made peace with him in his son, and he had forgiven every sin that he will ever commit and has declared him righteous in Jesus Christ. So I want to look at three pictures of the gospel today in the life of Peter, three pictures of the gospel. And the first two points are going to be fairly quick. We'll spend the last part, the most of our time in the last one. Peter was, we're going to see a picture of the gospel where he was listed. You remember last week, Peter was listed first in the order of the disciples in Mark chapter 3. Then we're going to look at very shortly who he was, and that could be a whole book itself. And then we're going to look at mainly what he became, because what he became was actually what it was that God wanted him to be. God literally changed his name. Peter, far from more than a legal change, and God spiritually changed his name to become a believer. And if you remember last week, we are starting, as I said at the first, the study to remind ourselves that these are normal people. These are fishermen. These are uh, tax collectors. These are uh, terrorists, if you will. Let me just give a list quickly of the 12 disciples. You have Peter. You have James and John, who once asked God to bring fire down to burn to a crisp the Samaritans. Jesus, would you give us the power to burn these guys over here? <laughs> Philip was slow to understand it all, and after three years, the night before Jesus died in John 14 said, show yourself to the world, without a clue about what was going to happen. Bartholomew, who we'll get to some other time, said, Could anything good come out of Nazareth? Clearly, Jesus, you came out of the wrong zip code on the wrong side of the tracks. <laughs> Matthew had money, one of the disciples, but he got it by lying as a tax collector. Thomas, we don't even have to go here. Most of you grew up with this. He was despondent. He was discouraged. He was doubting. And he didn't even show up at the Lord's resurrection. James, the son of Alphaeus, James the Lesser. How do you do ministry with someone named the Lesser? I mean, think about that. Thaddeus so, is so unknown, we don't know much about him. Simon, who was called the Zealot, was literally a part of a terrorist organization. He was a part of a Jewish terrorist organization. And he was trying to overthrow the Roman government with all means possible. 
probably wouldn't put him in charge of the kids or nursery on a day-to-day basis. And Judas was the only one who seemed to have any respectability among the people that they could surely trust. Yet, as we know, Judas was the Judas himself. He was the worst. They were uneducated. They were untaught. They were untrained. None of them had any academic background. None of them were wired with connections, not a part of the elite. They had no social standing. Yet the Lord chose them. Wow. And yet when the Lord chose to surround him, they were as common as common, and they were the most dubious dozen you could ever imagine in your whole life. One reason Jesus chose these 12 is so you and I can look at this and say, God didn't use the smart or the rich. Maybe he can use me today. To be used by God, we think we have to have a background, a pedigree. We have to have a lineage of some sort, an upbringing. But I don't have to have this. I'm just me, Lord. I want to be faithful to you. We just sit on the sidelines sometimes, though, because we don't think God will use us. And we, we think that God could never use us. And we let the professionals play the game of church or we're afraid someone might ask us a Bible question or, or, or perhaps for us to pray. But church, I want to remind you this morning that Jesus chose 12 common men as an object lesson here today that he uses all kinds of people in all kinds of ways to work out his perfect plan, even through imperfect and inadequate people like ourselves. Peter was always quiet when he shouldn't have been quiet. He was always jumping to conclusions. He was always, it seemed, denying the Lord, but Peter became the rock. He became the man, the man on the day of Pentecost who shook Israel with the proclamation of the gospel. He wasn't seminary trained. He wasn't a professional. He was a fisherman, but God used him mightily. May you and I be encouraged through this series as we study. As we do, if you're able to stand this morning in honor of God's words, Mark chapter 3 this morning. Mark chapter 3. As we start in verse 13 and read down to verse 16. Mark 3, 13 through 16. Reading out of the ESV, if you forgot your Bible, that's page 838 in the Blue Pew Bible. It says this, And Jesus went up on the mountain and called to him those whom he desired, and they came along to him. And he appointed twelve, whom he also named apostles, so that they might be with him and might send them out to preach. And verse 15, have authority to cast out demons. And here's the phrase we're going to focus on today. He, Jesus, appointed to the twelve, Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter. Will you pray with me this morning? Father, as we look at this list of people, may we be well reminded, Lord, that we are not far off or wouldn't have been far off had we been in their place. Yet at the same time, Lord, the same Lord of grace, Father, who before eternity passed, chose those who would be yours, Father, and called these disciples. Lord, you're the same Lord who called us today to this fellowship this morning. Father, for many here who are Christian, may we just be reminded that there is nothing that you cannot use us through if we are faithful and open to that. Father, for those who are not Christian, may, 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 may you open their hearts and eyes through the gospel to see that the gospel is not for the elite. It's not for the super poor or the middle class. It's for all. So, Lord, may your spirit move among us that people may hear the gospel clearly today. Father, thank you for the life of Peter. But, Father, equally, thank you for a life that pointed back to you even after messing up quite a bit. Yet, Lord, much grace covers a multitude of sins. Father, we love you. We praise you. Give us wisdom today as we study. In Jesus' name, amen. As we come to this time, I just, uh, it's very, very interesting to me because Peter himself, Peter himself uh, 
comes to a stage where he was listed. That's what the first thing I want you to see is where he was listed. And uh, Megan, I think I got the wrong title up there, and that's okay. I, put, I forgot to change the title this last week. But where he was listed, he's not the first saved, Peter is, but he's the first listed. You remember last week, if you were here, we noted that in all four listings of the gospel, Peter is first. He's, he's the protos. He's the leader among leaders. He's Simon, who's called Peter. Every group needs a leader. And the indication is he's first in influence. He's first in role. He's first in equal authority, power, and grace. But Peter was the first in function. He was their spokesman. This little group of guys would be over here, and Peter would say, oh, oh, but Jesus, what about this? Or Jesus, did you think about this? Jesus, what about this? Or whatever it was. The name Peter is used 96 times in the New Testament. He was out front. No one spoke like him or spoke as often as Peter did. No one spoke as boldly as Peter did. But no one messed up as visibly as Peter did. In Acts, no one preached as much as Peter preached, even Paul. When the Lord asked a question, guess who was ready to answer? It's like that kid in the back of the class. Hey, pick me, teacher, pick me. It was Peter. But he didn't even ask to be picked. He just said it. He couldn't even finish his sentence, and Peter answered the question. You may remember when Jesus was pushing through the crowd, and, and a woman touched his garment. And uh, Jesus said, uh, he said, who touched me? And Peter, being the realist, said, Jesus, come on, dude. Master, the people are crowding and pressing. What else do you need to know? There's a crowd around you. What do you mean, who's doing that? And that wasn't what Jesus meant at all. But in Matthew chapter 16, when Jesus seemingly, according to the Greek, asked a rhetorical question, who do you say that I am? Peter does it without any hesitation, says, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. And when he was walking on the water, Jesus was. He said, Lord, if it's you, command me and come out to you on the water. And didn't he walk on water? Don't forget that. Peter did walk on water. But as you know, the old illustration, he took his eyes off Jesus and what happened? For plunk, just like me trying to swim right now. I can't swim, save my life. And he said the shortest prayer in the Bible, Lord, save me. And if you're not a Christian here today, that's the best prayer you could ever praise. Lord, save me. You remember Peter rebuked Jesus' plan to die. He said, Jesus, no, 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 no. You're never going to have that happen to you, Jesus. That's not going to happen to you. God loves you, Jesus, and has a wonderful plan for your life. You can't go and die on the cross. At the resurrection, Peter was the first one into the empty tomb. Remember, John and Peter had a foot race, and John and Peter ran all the way there, and Peter outran John. John stopped at the gate, but Peter ran in to the front of there in the tomb. And on the way to Galilee, Peter got tired of waiting for Jesus, and he did what most guys would do. I'm going back to work. I'm going to go fishing, man. Let me out of here. And he went back. Peter was, if I may use this term as, uh, as just a, a thing, Peter was the ADD disciple, guys. <laughs> all of this was always Peter. He was always first. First to fail, first to talk, first to act, and first to succeed. He was always first. What a great reminder to us. And we'll look at this passage a little later on. But Satan, you may recall in Luke 22, asked to sift Peter like wheat. But Jesus prayed that his faith would not fail. One thing you learn from the life of Peter is that when Peter failed much, Christ was also interceding, praying for him all the more. Friends, if there is anything that Peter was when he came to be, it is simply this, is that he was listed first, 
But he learned eventually that he was not first. He learned eventually that Christ was first. That even in his failure, even in his brash-headedness, even in everything that he did, his Savior loved him so and was praying for him. Friends, you do not have a Virgin Mary interceding for you. You do not have a uh, old dead saints praying for you in heaven with respect to those who believe that. You have a Lord and a master, Jesus Christ, who raised himself up from the dead, who is seated at the right hand of God, who's coming again in power. That is the one who is praying for Peter and is also praying for you as you go through this life. You don't need a pope who claims to be the the Christ on this earth. You need Jesus Christ who said he was Lord, who proved it by his death. You don't need anyone but that to pray for you. And he did. And oh, did Peter ever have restoration in his life. John 17, 13, Jesus said that they may have, they being his people, the, the, the future Christians, that they may have the full measure of joy within them. Jesus prays and wills that we have joy in him and him alone. The only time in all the gospel that Jesus Christ prays to God and doesn't call him father is on the cross. What we lose, what he loses, we gain. And he giveth more grace and more grace and more grace. What was Peter? He was listed first. But Peter first had to learn that Christ was the one upholding him. Christian, have you forgotten that it's Christ that upholds you? It is Christ that prays for you at all times. When you slumber, when you sleep, Christ never slumbers or never sleeps. You can sleep deep tonight because as Peter learned, his Savior has never let him go. His Savior has never ceased praying for him. I mean, think about that. There are prayer movements that pray 24-7, 365, all around the world, but they have to take shifts to pray. Have any of y'all ever been part of a 24-hour prayer gathering where you sign up for maybe an hour or 15-minute slot? Anyone ever done that before? It's tiring, especially if you get the 3 a.m. shift. It's tiring. It's hard to get people to volunteer at youth lock-ins overnight, let alone get them to pray at 3 a.m. It's tiring. And if you remember, Peter, when Jesus was praying before the Father at the death, he fell asleep. Jesus said, watch and don't enter into temptation. And like most of us, when he got time to sit down, he passed out. But his Savior was still praying for him. Friend, do not diminish how big your Savior is. He is a large Savior. He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords, and he's never not praying for you. We might not sleep, But Jesus will not sleep as he prays for us. Friend, I want you to remember that. Your Savior has given you so much. And in Christ, you have it all. Peter had to learn that greatly. He was listed first, but he couldn't control things at all times. But his Savior could as a sovereign God. Let's go to the second point. Peter not only was listed first, but secondly, we can look briefly about who he was. His name was Simon Peter or eventually Simon Peter. But Simon was a very common name. And actually, there are seven Simons in the Gospels. Matthew 13, 55 says Jesus' half-brother was Simon. This is why we don't believe that Mary was a perpetual virgin, folks. Mary had other children. Go look at it. Matthew 13, among other places. Judas Iscariot's father, ironically, was named Simon. Jesus had, uh, in Matthew 26, there was Simon the leper. There was a Pharisee in Luke 7 called Simon. And then who was the guy, if you remember your history, who was the guy who helped Jesus carry the cross up the hill? You remember what his name was? 
Simon, right? Simon or Simeon, it's a variant of both. Um, Why bring this up? Because the Bible brings this up. You look back at verse 16, it says he was called Simon. He was a regular Joe. I don't know what the regular names are. It used to be 20 years ago, Bob, Joe, uh, you know, whatever else was out there, John. Uh, You know, I've joked before, my father's name is John Smith. And so everywhere he goes, he still gets carded because people think it's a joke, even at 69, whatever, however old he is now. But Peter was just another guy. He was Simon. He was Simon Bar-Jonah. Simon, son of Jonah or son of John, depending on your translation. He wasn't a lawyer. He wasn't a landowner. He was a fisherman. And he shared a common fishing business with his brother, Andrew. They were partners together with two other people you've heard of, James and John. And Simon was a hard-working, salt-of-the-earth kind of guy that made an honest living with his hands, calloused as they were, and a sunburnt neck, and probably not a farmer's tan, because they were working hard all the time. He lived in a common town. He lived in, not in Jerusalem, not in Rome. He lived in a little town called Bethsaida, and he moved to a town called Capernaum a sleepy fishing village on the west coast of Galilee, far removed from any influence in Jerusalem. He had a common name, Simon. He had a common job, fishing. He had a common town, Capernaum. Is that who you are today? Are you, as you see yourself, are you just a guy or a gal? Christian, let me remind you today that God has used a variety of men and women throughout the centuries. And they have one thing in common. They had an uncompromising gospel and a life of prayer. Maybe you're from a very common place. Maybe you're from a place that you can't even look it up on Google. It's, it's so out there. That Google, the Google car, you know, that goes around with the camera on it, they can't even find it because they don't even know where it's at on a map. I don't know. But you need to be encouraged today, Christian. You need to remember that because God has always drafted common people to do uncommon gospel-centered work in this world. Not a many or mighty or noble, 1 Corinthians says, but God has chosen the base things of the world to confound the wicked. You know, I didn't grow up in a line of pastors. I grew up in a line of millers and other things like that. I'm not a fifth-generation preacher. That would have been nice to have at times, but I didn't have that. Many of you have not had that in your lives. You didn't grow up seeing the family business go down and, and, and what it was. But I want you to be encouraged today from the life of Peter Christian. God uses people not according to their ability, but according to their availability. Do you see the difference? God uses people not because they're famous, not because they know lots of people, but by faith. God uses people not by scholarship, but by relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. God uses people not by any other way except that they are faithfully devoted to him. Say, Darren, you keep beating that drum. I do. Because, folks, church is not just a holy hangout place where you show up every now and then to get a special blessing. Church is a place where every Christian, every hand, everywhere has to be working together for God's glory. And Peter, as brash as he was at times, as common as he was, God and his sovereignty chose to, be him for, to make him first. Is your life this morning, Christian, do you have an uncompromising gospel? If people look at you and say, you are so-and-so, how would you describe yourself? I'm Joe Bob, I always love that name, Joe Bob, and I work here. 
I have 3.5 kids and I have one wife and 2.75 cars because we're not sure it works all the time. That's just who I am, pastor. Christian, let me remind you, as John did so well a couple weeks ago, your identity is in Jesus Christ. Your identity is not how you work in this world. Your identity is not who you're married to, although that's part of it. Your ultimate identity is in Jesus Christ. And if you say, Darren, God could never use me. Oh, by golly, he used Peter. And if I dare say, if he can use Peter, even as gifted as he was, he can use you, Christian. Have you prayed, Lord, where is it? How is it? And with whom is it that you would have me serve in this church? That's where we are. Two brief points, where he lived and who he was in Peter. And this is where, thirdly, I want to spend the last point, the majority of our time on. If you'll join, ver, uh, venture over with me to John chapter 1. John chapter 1. We know what Peter was. We know, in a sense, just very briefly where he came from. But what did he become? How did he get there? What purposes did God have for his life? And I, I hope there's great application for you here. If you are not a Christian here today, I just want to remind you that Jesus doesn't love you more because you came to this church. Jesus doesn't love you more because your family has a heritage of being Christians. That's all good stuff. Jesus loved you because he loved you because he loved you. And if you are here today and you do not know Jesus Christ, I pray as we look at John chapter 1, we'll start in verse 35, that, that you see an uncommon calling from a very common man that you see that you don't have to clean yourself up to come to Jesus. Truly, come to Jesus as you are, but don't stay there. But there's no sin so big, no whatever so extraordinary that Jesus cannot use to change you and to make you more like him. I want you to, to remember that in Mark 3, we read that Jesus, to whom Christ gave the name Peter, Jesus changed his name without even asking his mama without even asking the government, hey, can I change his name to Peter? He said, you're not Simon, you're Peter. Why? Because God changed his life. His earthly parents gave him the name Simon, but his heavenly savior gave him the name Peter. Peter represents a new man, a new life in Christ. Peter means the stone or the rock, and it expresses the idea of firmness or rock solidness. Peter would no longer be known as Mr. Fickle. He'd no longer be known as Mr. Fly Off the Handle. He'd no longer be, no, uh, be known, as my mama used to tell me, open your mouth before, or don't open your mouth before you think. He'd no longer be tossed back and forth. But now he is a new man in Jesus Christ. And the conversion or the renaming of Peter is to show how the Lord calls to himself and relabels us for his glory. John chapter 1, verse 35. Just give some walking commentary here. It says, the next day again, John was standing with the two disciples. The two disciples here are John and Andrew. John didn't even name himself in the gospel of John because it was such a holy calling that he got. Go down to verse 36, and, and he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, behold, the Lamb of God. John the Baptist points away from his followers and points to Christ. Behold, the Lamb of God. And it goes on in verse 37 and says, the two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. John's disciples, John and Andrew, went after, went after Jesus. They, 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 they were following John the Baptist. Now John says, hey, it's not about me. It's about this guy, Jesus. Get over there. Follow him. And they do. And then in verse 38, it goes on to say, 
And Jesus turned and saw them, John and Andrew, following and said to them, what are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? I want you to see here that before we even get to Peter, Jesus is asking the, the future disciples of his the master question. It's the key that unlocks the heart. It doesn't say to whom do you seek, but what? Guys, what is your passion in life? What is your most inner desire? What are you looking for? And then they ask him, where are you staying? It's a humble request for time alone with this person that appears to be very great in the eyes of John the Baptist. And we go down to verse 39, and Jesus said to them, come and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying, John and Andrew, and they stayed with him, Jesus, that day, for it was about the 10th. I want you to know, as John wrote this, that why does he put the time in there? Why is that important? Well, it's important because before we get to Peter, John himself gets converted right here. He gets saved. He gets gets his Jesus moment, if you will. All true seekers of Christ will always go to Christ. All true seekers of Jesus don't need to be prodded. They don't need to be knocked on the door a thousand times. Where have you been in church? Honest, sincere seekers of Christ will always be given access to Christ. And you will see that purpose right there. They spent the day with him. They saw that the master had unlocked their heart. They knew that they had peace. They had purpose. And they had a plan with God now. Because Jesus had saved them. And John's very humble way of saying he was saved. He remembers the exact moment. The life-changing moment when John was saved. What an amazing testimony. Many of you remember the days when evangelists used to ask you to write your name in the back of the Bible and the time you got saved. You all remember that, some of you older folks? That's kind of what John did here. He wrote it down. But then look at verse 40. So Jesus has saved John and Andrew. They spent time with him. And then verse 40, one of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. When you know Jesus, it really goes back to the heart of it. It's going to wreck your world, good or bad. And what did he tell him? Andrew was always in the shadow of Peter by sovereign grace. But now Andrew has come to know Christ, and he wanted to share Christ with his most beloved family. And look at verse 41. It says, He first found his own brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which means Christ. He first went to Peter. He had been looking for the Messiah. Everything they had been looking for had been found in him. And Andrew, being the good brother, being the good ambassador, newly saved as he was, goes to Peter, and he brings him the message. And after bringing him the message, look at verse 42. Peter says, Andrew Andrew brought him to Jesus. He brought who to Jesus? Peter. Andrew didn't just say, hey, I know this guy named Jesus. He's radically changed my life. He literally walked him arm in arm, hand in hand, however that works, and he took him to Jesus. Friends, that is a great, that's a whole side note sermon there. That's why we can't just leave people hanging at the cross, so to speak. We have to lead them and guide them and disciple them and bring them in close relationship with the Savior. And he said, and he brought him to Jesus, verse 42, and Jesus looked at him. Who's the him? It's Peter. And said, you are si- so you are Simon, the son of Jonah? You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. 
please note that he brought the message to Simon. He did that in verse 41. But what's happening here in verse 42 is far more profound. After bringing the message, Andrew brought Simon to Jesus. Friends, this is a great point of application. Only God can draw a person to know Jesus Christ. But God uses people who are excited, enthusiastic, and enthralled about the gospel of Jesus Christ. You know what? I've shared this before, but one of the greatest sermons historically and religiously perhaps ever preached on American soil was back in the 1700s by a guy. Do you know who this was from? Jonathan Edwards. Jonathan Edwards preached a sermon. You can look it up online, and I dare you to because it will make you shake in your boots even 250 years on. It was called Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. And you heard me say this before, but... He looked down, and he talked like this. He had that fake hair on, and he talked like this. He wasn't excited. He wasn't enthralled. He wasn't charismatic. Jonathan Edwards just talked down, most likely, from historical accounts. It didn't look up much. He was very introverted to that degree. But what happened through that sermon was one of the greatest movements of God and one of the greatest awakenings this, this country has ever seen pre-United States forming. But I want to tell you, God can use Jonathan Edwards to speak down and hardly look up and, and preach a sermon. God also uses people who are contagious for the gospel of Jesus Christ. How did Peter hear about Jesus? It was his brother because he was so excited about what Jesus did in his life. And I'll be honest, the farther you grow in your relationship with Jesus, sometimes it isn't so exciting, is it? Be honest. You think about the time you got saved. Many of you remember it very clearly. There was nothing that could touch you for Jesus. Nothing could touch you. Say You were going to storm hell with your two little pistol guns, and you were going to take over every demon because you knew Jesus was on your side, and no one could stop you. But then you got formalized. You got routine. You got baptized, if that's even a word. You became a Christian but you let formality do it. Does this mean we should run without restraint and without rule and without... No, that's not what I'm saying. But friend, have you truly, have you lost the excitement of what it knows to be about Jesus? One way, God, God saved Andrew. That is his work. But one thing that God used in the saving of Andrew, although it wasn't, it wasn't the divine means, but God used an excited person about the gospel. Friend, is the God, have you lost your excitement? Have we, have I lost our excitement about the gospel of Jesus Christ? Not just to go do missions because that's what we need to do, but really, truly, do you love Jesus more today than you ever have? And are you excited about that? That may not be just going up and saying, hey, bring me over here. We don't have Jesus physically here. But friend, are you excited about Jesus? That sounds so silly in a Baptist church, doesn't it? But are you? Do you desire that people see Jesus as Andrew showed Peter and God sovereignly opened his heart? He said, we found him. And that connected to Simon's soul. You never know what your excitement God may use for Jesus. Please hear me clearly. Your excitement does not save people. God does. But God may use that as part of his drawing for someone else. When he met Jesus, it all changed. And Jesus wasn't doing one of those politician things. He wasn't going up, scanning the room, saying, hey, how you doing? Nice to meet you, and go to the next person. Jesus looks. He spends time right with Peter. He says, he looked at him. 
it says, verse 42, and said, so are you Simon, the son of John? Jesus, don't you know this? Of course he does. He's God. He's sovereign. But when he met Jesus, he looked into and through him and saw what Simon would become through his divine will. Simon, son of John, you were brass. You were impulsive. You were rough around the edges. You were overbearing, constantly swaying, self-assured. You were common. But now your name is going to be the rock. Jesus was changing his life by his grace, and he will be different now. He would become no more common or vacillating. He would become rock solid, firm, immovable, an anchor for others, unswayed, unmovable, stable. And now he has a very, very new name. The Lord declares his salvation, but more than that, it is a prophecy of who Peter is to become. He will be the rock-like leader of the early church. And every time you hear the word Peter, you will hear the word Mr. Rock Solid. For this point on, Simon was in the process of becoming Peter, and it was a transformation. I'm going to end with this. Megan, if you want to throw up the last slide, that'd be great, please. Thank you. So what does it mean? How did God grow Peter the same way, Christian, he's growing you today? When Peter acted like his old self, Jesus would say, Simon. Whenever Simon was to be encouraged to act as he should, he would call him Peter. Sometimes he was Simon. Sometimes he was Simon Peter. Okay, you're kind of getting it, Peter. But when he really got it, he was called Peter. Jesus grew him through three things in his life. It took time. Three years of hanging out with Jesus through the muck and the mire and the good and the great time to grow into his name. Isn't it amazing that in 2 Peter 3.18, the last words we ever have recorded from the book and author of Peter, he says, but grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. He never stopped growing, but it took time. There may be someone in your life today, to be quite honest, that you've given up on who claims the name of Christ. And yes, there is truly a way, there is a way that a Christian will walk who's truly a Christian. But if you know, without a doubt, that person saying, you're just ready to throw in the towel on them, would you give them time? God may be working on them in ways you have no idea. Second is truth. No one grows without the truth of the word of God. That's why Peter said in 1 Peter 2.2, his first letter, that long for the sincere milk of the word in respect to salvation. But do you know the biggest way that Peter grew? It was through the ringer, quite frankly. Peter grew through trial. Peter grew through his own sin. How many times he went through it all, all part of it. He fell flat on his face, but he grew out of that. Less Simon and more Peter. Look, if you're a Christian, the greatest way you know you're a Christian today is your life is less of the old person and more of the new. In Luke 22, we alluded to this earlier. Jesus says to Peter, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan has demanded, Luke 22, 31, to have you that he might sift you like wheat. But I, Jesus speaking, have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you've turned again, strengthen your brothers. And Peter said to him, Lord, I'm ready to go with you to prison and to death, whatever you want. And Jesus said, I tell you, Peter, before the rooster crows this day, until that time, you will deny me. How many times? Three times. Isn't it interesting that he told him the last name he wanted to hear was the name Simon, Simon Peter. You know, as growing up, you know this. You probably thought this already. Certain names you didn't want to hear from your parents. Darren, come here. Darren Smith, come here. Darren Christopher Smith, get over here now. 
Come on, guys, you used to have that happen. Some of you still have that happen to you all the time when you walk in your parents' place. He was just acting like his old self. I never want to hear Darren Christopher Smith. He never, Peter, never wanted to hear Simon Peter. He wanted to hear Peter. John chapter 21 and verse 3, and this is probably many of you have thought through this, but Simon Peter said he was going to go fishing. And they said to him, we will go with you. And they went out and got into the boat. But that night they caught nothing. He couldn't wait. Yet Jesus was on the shore, resurrected as he was, and Jesus began to fix breakfast. And Simon's out of that boat like it's sinking. He just jumps in the water and starts whatever he does. He runs on shore. He wants to get back in line with Jesus because he's failed so miserably. You know that Jesus caught his eye at the third crowing of the rooster. Peter had failed miserably. And it wasn't an end. John chapter 21, when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon... Son of John, do you love me more than these? And Peter said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, Feed my lambs. And it's almost like Peter's asking, Why are you, Jesus, you know me. You know me. He was looking at the fruit of his life. He saw too much Simon and not enough Peter. And the second question that came, not for the Lord to gather the information, but for Peter to see, he asked him again, Do you love me? And he said, What? Yes, you know I love you, Lord. The third question, Peter was no doubt getting mad by this point. He doesn't even want to hear the question again. Simon, do you love me? And he said, Lord, you know all things and you know that I love you. This was a weaning of Simon off of Simon and a big time in his life to grow. Mr. Impulsive in John 21 now becomes Mr. Immovable. Mr. Brash now becomes Mr. Broken. He went, Peter did, from being self-assured to God-anchored. He was a vacillating fisherman running off his mouth, worse than a sailor ever could, and now becoming a voice for the very mouthpiece of God. He became a rock who preached at Pentecost, who God used to save 3,000 men, not including women and children. He was a rock before the Sanhedrin when they said, you cannot preach, and he said there's salvation, Acts 4.12, found in no other name. And they said, don't talk that way. And he said, I can't help but speak about the Savior I know and love. He was a rock in the early church in Acts 5 when Ananias and Sapphira, you may remember this, they sold their field off, but they held back a little of their stuff, and they just dropped dead. And Peter said, get the bag and take him out of here. No more Simon, now Peter. Why? Because Jesus Christ desired growth in his life. Friend, we all start out as a Simon, so to speak, in our walk with Christ. Fickle, shallow, jello-filled spirituality, self-assured, self-cocked in the process of a Christian growth. And these are the same things you see as Simon went from Simon to Simon Peter to Peter. Has the Lord given you a new heart in this life? Has he given you a new name? Friend, have you come to know Jesus, not just so you can be more self-assured. There's a reason self-help books don't work, guys. There's a reason you can write a self-help book and make a million dollars in a year and be a no-name the next year because self-help books don't help. Only Christ can grow you as you are meant to be grown in his image. Has he given you a new life? Has he given you those things? But let me tell you the way, if you are not a Christian, that God will often bring you to Christ is putting you through some of the hardest stuff you've ever faced in your life. If it were so easy a caveman could do it, as the old Geico commercial used to say, then salvation wouldn't be needed by the Lord. 
But if you're here today and you don't know Christ, you need to come to the end of your rope like Peter had to before he saw Jesus working in his life. If you're here today, I want you to know that Jesus loved you so much. While you were yet a sinner, you have offended a holy magistrate in God himself. But praise God that while you have sinned, Jesus didn't leave you there. You deserve the worst. But Jesus died. He lived the perfect life. And on the cross, he absorbed the wrath of God, not because it was divine child abuse, but because it was exactly what was prescribed for sinners such as us to get to heaven. He was buried, and he rose again on the third day, literally, bodily, and and physically, so that he would prove once and for all he is Jesus. That is the rock on which Peter was found, the rock of Jesus Christ. You want to be more like Christ, Christian, today? It takes truth, it takes time, and it takes trial. Is that what you signed up for? I don't know, but it's how Peter signed up. But I want you to know, Peter became the rock for the church. I want to speak just a word to this. Our Catholic friends believe that Peter was the first pope. Friends, that it couldn't be further from the truth. I need to say this. Peter was a man. He was not Christ. I am a man. I am not Christ. You are a person. You are not Christ. There is only one Christ. But there is one Lord. There is one faith and one baptism. And that is going through the narrow gate that is Jesus Christ. Will you pray with me this morning? Father God, as we